Hey, the snowstorm got us this morning a little bit, huh? There's a, you know, I was, uh, it was funny just how much damage can happen from just a little dusting of snow. I mean, that parking lot out there got pretty crazy, didn't it? And it was just like a, a dusting of snow. But we add the right elements and the wind and all that stuff, and it's amazing what can happen. Um, yeah, it got us a little bit. I was t- Josh and I, last year, we noticed that almost every time we had a, it was hard not to notice, almost every time we had a snowstorm, um, last year, you know, we were getting killed by those big snowstorms for the last two years, and it kept happening on Saturdays, Saturday nights. And then we'd have to, like, what do we do for church again tomorrow? Like the last three weeks in a row, we got pounded with a snowstorm. And uh, so I kept asking God, like, why in the world would you keep putting snowstorms on Saturday night? Now people don't go to church on Sunday. Like, isn't that kind of counterproductive? And Josh was like, yeah, you know, um, that's what happens when you don't take Sabbath rest. God has to shut down the world in order to get you to actually rest. You know, interesting thought. Anyway, we are in our last uh, sermon. What was that? You guys are messing with me. We're in our uh, we're in our <laughs> we're in our last message on the uh, ancient future practices of the church series. Uh, it's been a it's been a really cool series, and it's been good to go through it. Today, we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. If you've missed any of those uh, sermons, then I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. You can either podcast it from iTunes, or you can get on the website and listen to it streaming. Um, But uh, go and listen to them, because they're kind of definitional for uh, how we understand God created the church to be and what we're to be engaged in, and uh, so it's kind of a template for us moving forward. Um, so we are going to finish out today. We're in Acts chapter 2, and today's kind of a chilling day. Kind of ended up being okay that the snow hit us a little bit today. It's kind of a chilling day. Our music is kind of chilling today, right? And we have uh, more of a teaching than a preaching today uh, and that type of thing. So we're just kind of hanging out as a community today. But we're, uh, I'm excited to be finishing up this series. So uh, Acts 2, this is the last time we're reading it together for this series. Can you stand with me in honor of God's word, please? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Join me in prayer. God, we ask that you would add your richest blessings to the reading of your word. And we also ask, Jesus, that as you uh, communicate through your Lagos uh, word, through this written word here, that there would also be rhema that would speak into our lives, that your Holy Spirit would interpret this into our lives, and that, uh, God, we would find our church and our lives massively benefited through the pictures that you reveal to us in Scripture. And we thank you and praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. So, uh, you know, if you're a Christian, you just have to, you have to admit that prayer is important, right? I mean, you can't say you believe in the Bible and you believe in Christ and say that prayer is not important. Prayer is important. However, whether we say something is important or whether we actually believe it's important are two different things. And the way we know the difference between just our mouths and what we actually believe is based on our lives, how we deal with something. 
And so we can tell much more about what we believe in by what we do and how we treat something than we can by just what we say. People can say all sorts of stuff. It doesn't actually mean anything. A buddy of mine the other day was telling me that he was speaking to a bunch of young adults and he was, uh, you know, he got done the teaching and he said, all right, can you guys join me in prayer? This is like college college age students. He said, can you guys join me in prayer? And as soon as he said, can you join me in prayer? You know what happened? There's a few of the kids, they bust out their phones like this and they start texting. Okay. And he was like, that's weird. Um, you got to put your phones away. And they got offended with him. He was already a little offended, but he was like, you know, at first I was just kind of personally offended, but then I realized like, I, you know, what, it, what was that about? Like, why do we, why are we okay with that around prayer? And I started laughing because I've, I've had a couple of times now where I've been in a counseling session and I've been counseling and, and we get to the end and we're like, I'm, I'm like, it's time to pray. And we'll go to prayer and the person will kind of sneak their phone out under the table and start to text. And I know why. It's probably because like someone was watching the kids or something was going on and they're trying to communicate, hey, I'll be there in a few minutes or whatever. But there's still this, this interesting thing that happens where it's like prayer isn't all that sacred sometimes, you know? We don't hold prayer as sacred as we actually should. It's more like, you know, the preaching and what the person says or the counseling and what we understand, that's the big deal. And the prayer is just the thing that kind of supports that. Well, prayer actually does support what we say. There's no question about that, which is why somewhere in this building right now, there's someone tucked away somewhere praying for this service because we believe that God actually, when he wants to touch our hearts and change our hearts, that's a spirit thing, not just an intellectual thing. And so it's more than just communication that's happening back and forth here. We need a Holy Spirit to communicate into our lives. And that's just like in, in Acts chapter 2 when it says that Peter got done uh, preaching this message on the day of Pentecost, and it says in verse 37 of Acts 2 that they were cut to the heart. And the heart, that's that word for spirit there, like our heart. We love the Lord with the deepest part of us. And, and it wasn't just that they understood the message, it's that it impacted them on a deep level. And we believe that if the word of God is going to be powerful and effective in our lives, it has to go beyond just how it affects our head, and it has to change us at a deep level. And we believe that happens more through prayer than it does through just talking. And so without a doubt, we believe that the prayer supports the talking, the word. However, we don't believe that you know, the word is of all importance and the prayer just supports that. When Justin was talking about these paintings out here, he said, you know, there's the different colors. They put the different color ribbons on it. And the reason was that's just like in a printer. You know, we have this one printer right now that it has so many cartridges. Every time you go to print, it says low ink. You're like, I just changed the cartridge. Well, that's because there's like too many cartridges, you know? And it's because, it's, but it's, it's, they have like these double cartridges of these colors though, but there's really only four colors. And you can make any of the colors out of these four colors. And in the same way, that if you want to see the, the manifold beauty of God working in someone's life, prayer and word and fellowship and ordinances, they all have to work together and influence each other. If, if we go and, and study the word of God, but we're not in a place of prayer, then it's not going to be effective word. You know, and if we're, and if I'm working at fellowshipping with you, but it's not based on the word of God, well, then it's not going to be the appropriate kind of fellowship, so on and so forth. So one angle is when we go into a counseling session or when we go into preaching, that it's really important that prayer supports this thing and upholds it. But there's a whole nother angle. And this is what's important. I want you to hear this. When I go through a counseling session with people, much of what I'm doing during that counseling session is not trying to get them just to think differently or to see the truth. 
What I'm trying to get them to do is be aligned with me about what it is that we need to pray for. Because the transformation, truth transforms us. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But again, it's the truth not just as we understand it, but the truth as it impacts us. And we need the truth not just to be something cerebral, but something that touches my heart. And the way that it gets in there is when I'm asking God to change me. And that's an act of prayer. So many times what's happening in a counseling session is I'm sitting there with a couple or with a person and I'm talking through with them what's going on and we're looking at the scriptures together and we get to the end and when we get to the end, we realize this is the big moment now. This is prayer. This is when this thing actually has legs on it, when it has the power to do something, is when we pray this thing. But so often for us, we don't see it that way. We see that prayer is just the supplement to the word rather than the word supplementing the prayer. And see, what goes on is, like, you have to hear Peter. In in 1 Peter, there's this amazing verse in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, therefore, be clear-minded, and self-controlled so that you can pray. So that you can pray. You see, there, this passage in First in Peter, it's amazing how he defines the church and he, and he leads us into how do we face injustice and difficult circumstances. And there's this like culminating moment in the passage where he says, okay, with all that said, I want you to be clear-minded now. Clear your head. Clear everything else. Think about the truth. Clear your head. And be self-controlled. Get, your, get yourself into gear. Don't be you know, engaging in all sorts of stupid things. You know, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray. You see how that's an end? It's a destination. It's not just how we get to a place. It's that we're trying to actually get to prayer. Because prayer is the thing that goes missing all the time for us. And when it goes missing, everything gets messed up. And on the flip side, when we get to a place of prayer, all sorts of things begin to happen. You realize that like every great move of God starts with prayer, right? You know, the great awakenings, the reformation, all the revivals, they all start with the place of prayer. And this is no different. The day of Pentecost, what was going on when the day of Pentecost broke loose, when the spirit broke loose? What was happening? That's, that one's not rhetorical. What, what were the apostles doing? They were praying. They were in the upper room and they were praying together. And all of a sudden, Holy Spirit shows up. Peter starts to speak and his words aren't just words anymore. They're cutting people to the heart. And then after that, after he cuts people to the heart, they all get baptized. And next thing you know, there's a whole community of people who are devoting themselves to these things. Is that miraculous? I mean, honestly, if you look at this blueprint of the church and you look at the church at large, is it a miraculous thing to see a group of people who are completely and totally devoted to word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer? That's a miraculous thing. To see Peter preach and 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord, that's a miraculous thing. But it starts with a prayer meeting. See, when we get to that place of prayer, all of a sudden, a bunch of other things start to happen. But what's interesting is, is it doesn't end with that. See, then the cycle starts again. So they prayed, and the Holy Spirit broke loose, and all sorts of things started happening. And then what happens is communities formed, and they devote themselves to word, fellowship, ordinances, and prayer. It comes around to prayer in the end. These guys were praying. Holy Spirit did all sorts of stuff. A community of people who were lost are now formed. And after they're formed... Ultimately, they become a people of prayer in the end. The destination is the prayer. The destination is the connection with God. And this is basic communication with God, is prayer. So listen, the order of these things 
they devoted themselves to the word, the fellowship, the ordinances, and the prayer. The order of those things is really important. And let me show you why I believe that. Because if you just grab someone off the street and you just said to them, hey, we're supposed to be praying. What do you want to pray for? You know, what is an average person who doesn't have a walk with God, doesn't know the scriptures, and you just tell them to pray, what are they going to pray for in that moment? Get, I, yeah, I, they're going to pray for whatever their felt need is, right? Whatever their felt need is at the moment. Like, yeah, I'd really, my car is struggling. Can I have a new car? You know, uh, that, whatever it is, you know, the, my, my kid's having a problem. Can you help? You know, what, that's the prayer. Whatever, it's just this basic prayer that's uninformed by the scripture. You see, what happens is when you devote yourself to the word of God, all of a sudden our reality changes. You remember what this is? This is reality. Everything else is false reality. And we need to be washed by the water of the word. We need to brainwash ourselves so we understand truth. What happens is, is when you have a community of people who are devoted to the word, they begin to see reality differently. And and then the prayer is informed differently. So in other words, instead of asking God to change my circumstances in order to make me more comfortable, what I might actually do is really realize, hey, you know what? I was created for the glory of God. Maybe I should pray that instead of just asking God to change my circumstances, I should ask him to make me glorify him through my circumstances. You don't get there naturally. You get there through reading the word. And the more you are devoted to the word, the more you know what to pray. Once you are washed in the word, you know what it is you're supposed to be praying. And, and once you know what it is you're supposed to be praying, now we need to know what direction to pray in. And let me explain that. Once I devote myself to the fellowship, once I'm devoted to you, I understand, remember how we've been talking about the fellowship, that this isn't just a personal journey for me. We're in this thing together. And my relationship with God will thrive to the extent that yours does. We're in this together. There's one bride, there's one church, right? And so if I'm just completely independent and self-focused in my relationship with God, I'm deceiving myself if I think that we're really maturing. Because the way that we mature is when I look to the best interests of others, help boost your spiritual life. Mine is already being boosted because I'm getting off of myself and onto you, which means my life is changing. Plus, as as you come up and as you rise up, the body is maturing and we're doing well. Now, when that happens, it changes how I pray. First, I know what to pray because I read this word. Secondly, I begin to know who to pray for because now I'm not focused on me, I'm focused on you, which is why Paul says, pray for all the saints. So you realize those first two things change us, right? Changes what I'm praying for, I'm informed now, I know what to pray. Secondly, I know who to pray for. And then they devote themselves to the breaking of bread, to the ordinances. And what happens when we give ourselves to the ordinances is again, it's that break of that cycle. You remember what we talked about last last week, we said, that uh, the world religions, you remember where we talked about the cycle of selfishness and where the world religions make their money? That we start with self, and so we decide to self-indulge because we have to take care of ourselves, and once we do, we start to self-loathe, and we hate ourselves, and then there's two paths there. One is you can, if you hate yourself, you can like go and self-medicate by doing fun stuff or doing something that you think will, you know, numb the pain and make you feel better. And if you self-medicate, you'll just continue self-loathing and you're in a real tight cycle there. But all the religions of the world scream out to us and they say, no, don't self-medicate, self-improve. And so you go this other route and you self-improve. You try to self-improve and make yourself better and do religious practices and do good deeds and all of that. And what happens is you gain self-confidence if you see a little bit of change. And then you end up in self-righteousness and self-righteousness is pride and pride comes before the fall when you 
when you self-indulge again. And that's the picture of the religions of this world. The breaking of that is the grace of God. And what we remember in the ordinances is that he infuses, he breaks in, and he says, I have another way. Don't self-improve, rely on me. Okay, so how does that change my prayer life? How does that inform my prayer life? It means that I understand now when I come to prayer that I'm in a place of dependence, that I don't pray out of my own strength. I pray under the blood of Jesus. I pray under his authority. Do you realize that you have power in prayer? Listen, if we understand the word and devote ourselves to prayer, we know what to pray because we've been informed of the truth. If we devote ourselves to fellowship, we know who to pray for because I don't care just about me anymore. I care about you and I'm you focused and I know who to pray for. If I devote myself to the ordinances and to the regular dependence on God, I believe that there's power in prayer because I'm not just depending on myself. I'm depending on God and his power is available to me. However, if I go through all of those things, but I still don't engage in prayer, then in many ways it's kind of useless. Because we have a call. We have a job. We have a huge job as a church. Our job is to change the world. That is really our job. And we don't have the ability to accomplish that job on our own, which is why he gives us prayer. Okay? And so after we've been informed of all of those things, we have to turn to prayer. Because the truth is revealed here, and I understand it here. The truth is obeyed as we engage with each other. The truth is is memorialized and embedded into my heart and my mind as we engage in the ordinances. But the truth is not wielded until I engage in prayer. There's two things that the truth offers us in prayer. It offers us peace. It offers us peace. And it offers us power. Okay, and I want to talk about the two ways we go after prayer to receive the peace that's offered to us in in prayer and the power that's offered to us in prayer. First off, there's like a resting level prayer. And this is, this is what I want to read with you uh, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm. So if you have your Scripture, turn to the 23rd Psalm. And I want you to think about being in a place of rest and a place of peace as we read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This kind of prayer, this prayer for peace, this resting prayer, is the prayer where we recognize the presence of God, and it changes us because we recognize it. Why, did this, why read this psalm right now? Think about it. Think with me for just a second. When you, what does it say happens in this passage in the midst of turmoil, in the presence of the enemies. What happens in the presence of the enemies? What does God do for us? He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So think about this for a second. Here we are in the middle of a war. 
Your enemies are all around you. You're in a, a work environment that's toxic. There's people who are trying to climb the corporate ladder and bite backs. There's all sorts of things that are going on around you. And what does God say he offers you? He prepares the table for you. He takes out his linen and he puts it over the linen tablecloth and he takes out the fork and the spoon and the knife and he, and he lays them out nicely, folds the napkin. He, put, he pours a nice glass and he has this beautiful uh, you know, meal for you. And here you are right in the middle of all the turmoil of your life. And he's saying, I prepare for you in the middle of all this, peace, peace. This is what I give you is peace. Think about it. He says right here, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. He's right here with me. What's going on in your life right now? And do you see the turmoil? Do you see the struggle? Do you see the problem? Or do you see Christ? Because what he says here is, I, I love, this is, this is uh, it says, uh, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now surely goodness and love will follow me some of the days of my life. It doesn't actually say that. It says all the days of my life. And the reason that it's saying that is because the whole point here is that no matter what it is that's going on in your life, Christ is here with us and his peace is here. But the only way that we can actually practice the presence of God and be engaged in the middle of that, be centered in the middle of that, is to be meditating on the presence of God, to be practicing it in prayer. You know, if you take yoga or do something like that, the whole idea is to get to some like place of peace or to get like centered again or whatever. But you know really where peace comes from, right? Peace comes from practicing the presence of God. One of the best ways to practice the presence of God is to be thankful. Um, we taught our boys when we taught them to pray for like a year before we taught them to ask God for stuff, we taught them how to be thankful. We would just say, all right, what are we thankful for today? Let's tell God what we're thankful for. And that's how we'd have our, like, you know, we get to bedtime and it's prayer time or whatever. And we'd say, all right, what are we going to thank God for? And so for a year, all they thought prayer was, was just thanking God. It's the only thing they knew prayer was. And I remember at one point, uh, Colton was actually talking to Jen about, like, about prayer. And Jen was saying, well, prayer is just kind of talking to God. And he goes over to the window. It was a summer day. And he looks out the window and he starts thanking God for everything he's seeing outside, you know? And there's neighbors outside. And he's like, thanking God out the window, you know? It's like neighbors looking back like, who's this kid thanking God out the window? You know, but it, what happens is, is this is the basic place where we find peace is when we're in the presence of God. And so often we're not seeing God. We're seeing our circumstances. We're seeing the valley of the shadow of death. We're seeing our enemies. We're not seeing the table. We're not seeing the presence of God. My cup isn't actually overflowing. Why? Because it's not available to me? Because peace isn't available to me? No, because I'm focusing on all the wrong stuff because I'm not engaging in prayer. Because I might have a wonderful spouse in Jesus Christ himself, the bridegroom. I might have an amazing father the father of the whole universe, the father God, you know, and yet somehow I'm not at peace. And the reason is because there's a lack of communication between the spouses. There's a lack of communication between the father and his kids because we're not engaging in prayer where we're feeling the peace of God in our lives. Instead, we're focusing on our circumstances instead of interacting with God, you know? And when that goes missing, we change and we're not able to engage things appropriately. That's resting prayer that brings us peace. 
But that's not the only kind of prayer. It's not the only thing that's offered to us. It's not just peace that's offered to us. It's also power that's offered to us. Prayer gives us the ability to accomplish things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to accomplish. So there's resting prayer, but then there's also assertive prayer. Prayer where we engage the power of God to change things. You know, we have been given this ridiculous job description as the church. Honestly, it's just crazy what it is that God expects of us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's my job to teach the world how to obey God. Are you kidding me? Have you seen our world lately? Have you seen how puny the church seems? Have you seen how small David is and how big Goliath is? Have you seen how pathetic Moses looks next to the Red Sea? Anytime God calls us to do something, it's always way too big for us to do. And the reason is because we can't actually do it on our own. He gives us himself and his power to accomplish it. But if we think that we can just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and God will take care of it all, that's not how it works. We engage through the power of prayer, realizing that we have real responsibilities as the church. And we can't just sit back and do nothing and say, God will take care of it or someone else will. We actually have to engage, but we can't take care of it on our own, so we have to engage via prayer. And you know, before we, Josh and I, came back down here to pastor and go through this replant, uh, I was in Ephrata, pastoring, Jen and I were living there, and I was pastoring there, associate pastorate, but I used to come back to Pottstown every now and then because I still had a big heart for this area, especially the town, because it was so depressed, and you know, after all the industry moved out and everything, it just got so bad, and I'd come back, and I'd pray every now and then, and I remember the one day I really felt the need to go down to Sunnybrook, you know where Sunnybrook is, right on High Street, it's the old ballroom down there, and it was a place that had been, back in the day, apparently, you hear the stories about a Sunnybrook ballroom where a Glenn Miller band and all sorts of others would come and play there and there'd be, you know, people be swing dancing and there'd be all, there was all sorts of culture that was taking place, community and culture that was taking place and it was kind of like a hub for all the fun things of the area, you know, well, now it was boarded up and there was nothing going on there, you know, and I, I show up, I drive my car into the parking lot, nothing's around, trees are growing up through parking lots and all this stuff, you know, and so I pull out my guitar And I just sit there and I start praising God because this is resting prayer. You know, God's here. In the middle of like a place that's all worn down, God's still here, right? I mean, there's trees growing up. Hey, man, trees are only growing because of God. You know, there's oxygen in the air. God must be here. You know, there's still goodness around God. So we just, I I would just praise God and practice his presence, okay? And then something, and then there's something else. I'm like, okay, we've been practicing the presence, but, but I don't want it to just be that God's here. We actually have a job to see God restore things. And so I started praying. I started walking around the property and saying, God, you know, I, I don't think that you just want Pottstown forever to be broken down and depressed. I think you want blessing and goodness for this area. And so can you please, God, restore this place, restore this town, restore industry to this town, restore this place right here, Sunnybrook. Okay, and I was praying over it for a while. Well, I go home uh, a little bit later. A buddy of mine back, he shows up, and actually it's the pastor, Jay, who's the pastor of Cornerstone, the place where they made the, the art pieces that we were looking at. He comes up to me and he hands me a paper. He said, hey, I was down in Pottstown today, picked up the Pottstown Mercury. Look at this. Front page, there it was. Sunnybrook has just been bought and is going to be restored to something. And I'm like, praise God. He answers prayer, you know? And you could say, well, that's just kind of coincidental, except it's not because it happens every time that we pray. 
<laughs> like, I mean, honestly, this, and I'm not saying that there, God's a genie and you do stuff and, and all of a sudden God shows up and does whatever we ask. But what I am saying is when we pray according to the will of God, he accomplishes it. And we can tell story after story after story. I mean, there was a few of us that went um, over to Coventry Christian School at one point and prayed. And, and there's the low-income housing that's back behind where they are. And here you have this private school and the low-income housing here. And we'd see people walking through the property. And we said, God, we just asked that there wouldn't be any real like kind of like cultural tension here or fear. But instead, you would allow the, the, this private school culture and this low-income housing culture to really influence each other and have something beautiful happen. You know, a few months later, we're at one of our Netzer gatherings where the, the pastors hang out, and the guy who's the pastor at the church that meets there, he's like, you wouldn't believe what's happening, man. There's these guys started showing up from the neighborhood and started playing ball at, our, at the gym here. And he said, next thing you know, they needed mentoring and tutoring, so we started providing mentoring and tutoring for them. Now we're providing scholarships for some of them to come to the school. And it's totally changing our church and changing our school. And hopefully it's, it's helping out their lives as well. And, you know, then last summer, Paul, from Coventry Christian School came here to our church and shared about this program and invited any of us to be a part of that. And when, and when Eric was telling us, the pastor was telling us this, I was like, dude, you wouldn't believe it. We were sitting in your parking lot praying and I told him what we were praying and his jaw almost hit the floor. He's like, I had no idea you guys were praying for us. That's awesome. I was wondering how God did all this stuff. You know, he did it through prayer. You know, and we had a worship Sunday a few months back where we had the Wolves came up, Dana came up here and talked, George Ann uh, came up here and talked, and Daryl Heyman came up and talked, and we talked about what was happening at Daryl's workplace, what was happening in the Wolves business, what was happening uh, through George Ann's neighborhood, and as they prayed, what it is that they saw happening. And it was just great stories. Those stories continue to increase. I was just on the phone, Mike, with you this week, and you were telling me about how much more that has increased as you guys have been walking around praying for the businesses in that, in that development and what God's been doing there. And when we actually pray, God does stuff. It's just simple. You know, I mean, it's like the power's there, the truth is there, but for this thing to actually be wielded, we have to actually pray. And prayer isn't just a support, prayer is a destination. We learn the truth, we get in the right mindset, we start caring about others, we get centered on God's grace so that we can become influencers via prayer in our world. That's the whole idea. All right, now I want to break this down into two categories to apply it to our lives, okay? First of all, I want to break it down for men. And then I want to break it down for women. We're going to get segregated for a minute, okay? And I want to break it down uh, so that we can understand how this applies to each of us. I want the men to get on this side of the room. And I, for men, I want you to look at a verse from 1 Timothy 2.8. This is Paul instructing Timothy on how the church is, you know, he's given, Timothy's a young pastor and he needs instruction on figuring out how to do church and what he's supposed to be focused on. And Paul's kind of guiding him and instructing him. And he gives, he starts talking to him about men and women. And in verse 8, he addresses the men and what he wants for the men. And this is what he says. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. This is his big thing that he wants of men in the church, that he tells Timothy he wants. Listen, this is what I want of the guys, okay? I want them to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Why is it that God, that Paul, God through Paul, singles out men and says the, the single job description that he has for men here is to lift up holy hands in prayer. You know why? 
Because men don't want to pray. We want to get stuff done. Really, honestly, we want to get stuff done. We want to do stuff with our hands. We don't want to, we don't want to pray. This is why. Because we're not naturally inclined to that. We're not naturally inclined to the just talking thing. We're naturally inclined to the doing thing, you know? And the reason we're inclined to the doing thing, guess why? Is because that's how God made us. He made us to do stuff. Remember what he told Adam in the garden? Work the ground. Man, name all the animals. Rule over the earth. Man, I would actually rather have the job description of ruling over the entire earth and having to figure all that out than figure out how to do this conversation over here. That's dudes. You know, that's how we roll. That's, that's kind of how God created us in, in a lot of ways. We were wired to get stuff done. We're supposed to get stuff done. It's in our DNA to get stuff done. However, we are completely blind if we think that the best way to get stuff done is by getting stuff done. The best way to get stuff done is by prayer. You see, this is how it works. We were in the garden and we were supposed to be getting all this stuff done and then we failed. We didn't do our job. We didn't hold the line. We didn't, you know, we didn't have appropriate leadership in our family and, and the whole system failed, okay? And, and we ended up, and what happens in that moment is that, guys, we lost our confidence, we lost confidence in who we are. We went and hid behind stuff and hid from God. And we lost confidence. We lost our strength. And what happens after that is that God says there's a curse. And you remember what the curse is? Work won't be easy anymore, will it? It won't be just easy to get stuff done. Now it will be by the sweat of our brow. What's more is, is that the ground is going to have thorns and thistles and it's going to be a real pain in my hands in particular as I try to get stuff done, you know? And so now I'm supposed to get stuff done, but I'm in a fallen world and life doesn't work for me. Life is way more difficult because when I tell my kids what to do, go figure, they don't do it anymore like it was supposed to be in the garden. And when I go to work and I have the right idea and I go to get stuff done, everything seems to go wrong. The thorns come up and there's all sorts of problems. And what's more is, is I'm not even confident in who I am. So now I have this addiction to needing to achieve stuff and get stuff done in order to prove that I'm legitimate. So I don't even know how to have the right perspective because I'm not doing stuff for God or for the people who need it. I'm just trying to get stuff done so I can feel better about myself. So now I'm not engaging work appropriately and work isn't helping me out at all because it's messed up. That puts us in a bad spot, doesn't it? And so there's two kinds of prayer that are given to us. Resting prayer and then the active prayer. Okay, the warring prayer. First in the resting prayer, when I get in that place with God and I'm like, all right, God, I got to work today, you know, and I got stuff that I got to get done and I got to provide for my family and all of that. And I know that there's a temptation inside of me to go and achieve stuff. And I want to, I want to score the next goal. I want to earn the next merit badge. I want to get the higher grade. I want to do whatever it is so I can achieve more. And that's from a little boy on. And now I want to get the best numbers at work. You know, I want to post these numbers. I want to get whatever I can get done so that I can feel better about myself. And if I get into that place of resting prayer, I say, God, I know that's the case. That inside of me, in my fallenness and in my lack of confidence, that I want to compensate by getting stuff done. But I'm just asking you right now, to remind me that I am a son of God who has been approved by you and I have nothing to prove to anyone. And I don't need to get anything done in order to prove something to myself or to prove something to you. Now when I engage this stuff, I'm going to do what's best for my family. I'm going to do what's best 
for your kingdom, and I'm not just trying to get stuff done for me. And in that resting prayer, the more that I'm engaging in prayer with God, and the more I'm chilling with him, the more I, it, I it's the healing for my soul, and I'm whole, and now my whole motivation for work is different. But it's not just resting prayer that he gives us. He gives us this assertive prayer, this warring prayer that says, all right, I know I'm supposed to be the father of my family. And that takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy. I know I have all these like roles at work that they give to me and there's way more demand on my time than there is actually time to accomplish what it is that I'm supposed to do. I know that at church I should be engaging and helping lead in these ways. Tim even tells me that I'm supposed to be influencing my neighbors and helping them and everything. You know, like oh, there's all these responsibilities on me and I don't have enough time. And that's good because that's like the Red Sea or it's like Goliath. It's supposed to be bigger than we can handle so that we learn to depend on God and then we say, God, I can't actually accomplish this, so I'm going to do my best to be obedient to you, but I'm going to pray that you will accomplish what it is that needs to happen. And you know, I've seen this personally. There's been a number of times in my life. Uh, I'll give you one example in particular. I was starting this group at a, a church I was at, a couple churches back that I, I worked at, and I was, I was praying in the, in the uh, I'm, not, I'm not a church jumper, I'm here to stay, okay? I, um, when, uh, when I was at this church, I was, in, I was starting this group and we were, we were having a prayer meeting for the group to get this ministry established. And I realized that everybody was kind of playing along and they're like, Tim probably has a good idea. Let's just stick with him and go Tim. And I realized that what wasn't happening was everyone wasn't getting ownership in this thing and we weren't actually going to get a group effort. And so I decided that in this prayer meeting, I wasn't going to pray anything. That all, not out loud, the only thing I was going to pray the whole prayer meeting is I was going to keep my mouth shut and I was going to pray for each person around the table quietly in my spirit that God would give them something to pray, okay? And so I just sat there quietly and one by one as I prayed for them, I watched God move in them and I watched each one of them pray and I had a list before I came to that of the things we needed to pray for and they prayed for every single one of them plus a few others and I never said a word. All I did was in my heart I prayed for them because I realized that the best way to lead, the best way to get stuff done if we want it God's way is actually to pray, not just to command, not just to do it, not just to get your hands in there and get it done, but to pray. And I would challenge you men, I would challenge you right now that whatever it is you have going on at work, instead of thinking it depends on you, Believe that it depends on God. Whatever it is you have going on in your family, you have a huge call and you have a big responsibility. It is not on you to accomplish it. It's on God to accomplish it as you go to prayer. If you are not working, God won't bless it. You can't be lazy and kick back and do nothing. We have to engage it and we have to go after it and we're dudes, so we probably will and we're gonna go after stuff, but we have to be in a God-dependent spot where I say, whatever this project is that I have, Steve, you were just telling me about how this happened the other day for you. You had a project, and whatever the project was, it's like, I'm going to come into this thing, and I'm going to ask God to take care of this. And when we do, we find out God does things way different than the way that I would have done it in this moment, but I watch him take care of it, and it ends up being better than the way I would do it. This is why God says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. You understand how this works? Young men, you guys have a job coming up. You guys, God's calling you to do stuff for the future. You know, he has a job for, for both of you. For, he has a job for you. 
has a job for each one of us right now. We are not just people who are placed on earth. We are God's ambassadors here in this earth to accomplish what he wants in this earth. He has placed us here as guys who are supposed to get stuff done for him. But do we realize that we cannot do it on our own, that we need God? If we are not praying, then it means that we're not actually doing our job because he's called us to get stuff done and we have to do it through prayer. Amen? That's what, like, way to go. Amen. Preach it. Um, thank you. Um, I told you this is a different Sunday. This is, right? This is a different Sunday. So, um, women, you also were given a role. And our roles are not completely mutually exclusive. We're called both to get stuff done and all that. But this is, this is how God defined it in the beginning. And I want to represent that. Women, your call was less about just getting stuff done, and it was more about relationships. You have a, a natural DNA bent within you more toward relationships. And that you were called to influence relationships. When you watch the call, when he creates Eve, he creates her as a helpmeet to Adam. He says, Adam, work the ground. And he says to her about this connection with Adam. And then she's also bearing children. There's a reason why God didn't give us dudes the job of bearing children. You know, we wouldn't be very good at it at all. You know, and so there's a call to these relationships. And I'm not saying that women aren't supposed to get stuff done. Like, I can get myself trouble quick in this message, you know. And I'm not saying that men aren't called to relationships. We both are. But there's a natural bent in the original call uh, from God in, the, in Genesis 1 and 2 that explains this whole thing, okay. And women, there's this call toward the, toward the relationships to benefit others, support others, influence others, and empower others, and make the relationships work. Can you imagine if there's nobody focusing on the relationship, we're only focusing on getting stuff done, that's a bad world. And as a matter of fact, we've seen a whole lot of that in our world, haven't we? Where it's cold and steel and it's war and it's about getting stuff done because we live in this male-dominant society, have for since the beginning, and we'll get to why that is. And so there, for women, there's been this sense of like relationships, we're called to make them work and we're called to influence and, and be a part of those relationships. We're called to make this love thing over here. Like how do we help that work and here with the kids and how do we nurture and all of that. And, and that thing got messed up as much as the guys got messed up, right? Got messed up because what happened in the fall? In the fall, all of a sudden, Eve runs and she hides and she feels insecure and God says that there's going to be a curse. And what was the curse? For the women. Pain in childbirth. Did that turn out to be legitimate? Yeah, okay, so there's pain in childbirth. Um, you know, sometimes the metaphor there for pain, there's more than just the practical, the physical, what happens in the actual delivery room. But it goes well beyond that. I've had people, I've had women sit in my office weeping before, telling me, it hurt a lot to give birth to this child, but it hurt way, way more to try to raise this child. Because the emotional pain that I've gone through uh, just completely overrides any physical pain. Physical pain, it hurt, it was bad, it was brutal, and then it was done. You know, this one is just agonizing, and it's over and over again, and I don't know what to do about it. You know? And that kind of pain that is in relationships is there for two reasons. And the, and the curse, again, it, it kind of describes it, but, but, but it's there for two reasons. One is because women changed after the curse. And two, because everyone else changed after the curse. First of all, women changed just like men. 
Men lost their confidence and their self-respect, so they had to try to overachieve in order to compensate. Women lost the sense of validation. There's a big level of insecurity where now all of a sudden, I don't know if I'm taken care of. I don't know if I'm provided for. I have lots of fear. I don't know if I'm beautiful. I don't know if I'm cared for. All of those things. So now when they engage in the relationship, it's not just them engaging in the relationship for the sake of that person. Now it's also for their own sake. Selfishness has come into the equation. And now all of a sudden it gets confusing where I'd like to be able to bless in this relationship and influence others and care for others. But I, I, I'm really struggling because there's this also this part of me that feels empty and insecure and I feel a need. And when you're not providing for me appropriately, I have sometimes, I don't actually benefit the relationship. I damage the relationship. And there's a real struggle in that thing because the motives get mixed because of the insecurity and the emptiness that the woman feels after the fall. And what's more is, is that trying to influence a man or trying to influence children or trying to influence in those ways, you think that's easy? <laughs> like, try, here's, here's a test. Women, if you're married or if you have a boyfriend or something, I, I dare you, <laughs> after, after this, to, to go and talk to your guy and say to him, like, all right, here's all the things that you should be doing better. Change this, change this, and change that, and see how that goes down you know, or, or try to go to your kids and just say, hey, here's all the things that are messed up about you. Fix this, fix that. Like, you know, try to make a relationship work. If the relationship's broken, hey, you're not loving me enough. See how that goes over. You know, it doesn't work well. It doesn't function well. Why? Because the other part of the curse, which says you will desire the man, but the man will rule over you. That is a brutal curse. It means you will still have this desire to be, have the relationship work and to influence it, and yet the dude isn't going to care because he's out getting stuff done, and you're just another thing that he's kind of getting done. You know? That's a painful, painful thought. And yet you have power because you have the power of God on your side, and you can influence people in this world more than you actually know. The more you rest in God, you find the peace of God. Because, ladies, first of all, there's this sense of, like, you need to know. You need to know that you are absolutely beautiful. You need to know that. But you need to know it not primarily just from your guy or from the magazines or anything like that. You need to know it from Father in heaven, and you need to know it from your groom, Jesus. And you need to know that you are absolutely adored. And the more you rest in the presence of God in prayer, the more you're thankful to him, the more you're engaging in prayer, the more you're feeling the validation of God, the more you're feeling the security of a father who will always provide for you, the more you're feeling the love of a groom who's not going anywhere and whose opinion of you won't change whether you wake up looking like this or you're having a bad hair day or whatever. He doesn't really care. He washed you with the water of the word and presented you to himself spotless and beautiful beautiful without stain or any other wrinkle or blemish. And the more you saturate yourself in that peace and that presence of God who loves you, the less you'll need from anyone else and the more you'll be able to influence those relationships appropriately instead of worrying about how those relationships influence you. 
And that's the power of resting in God. However, you are not just called to be present and have God loving you. That's a big part of it. You're called to be in that resting prayer to receive the peace of God. But you are actually called to war, to engage, to assert, to change the world around you. And when you see that relationships aren't working, you're actually supposed to make those relationships work. But you can't do it by manipulation. You can't do it by trying to force the relationship to go somewhere. You can do it through prayer. Let me give you an example. There are two women in my life who have influenced me in epic fashion through praying over me. And I've told this story before, so if you've been here for a little while, you've heard some of it, but you need to hear it again because it's important to hear because it's my story. So listen. (laughs) This is how it works. I I was in crazy depression and I was trying to date Jen and it wasn't working. And so finally we just broke up. You know, and I was like, I can't do this anymore because I'm hurting you because I don't have peace. You know, and I was in that place where I didn't have the peace of God in my life. And so it wasn't good, you know, and I was like, we're, we're done. Okay, I'm sorry. I hate myself, not you. And then like, I just went and did my own thing for a while. And I got to the end of my rope and I, I finally asked the elders of this church, the elders and the deacons of this church to do what the scriptures ask us to, which is if we're having problems, come and ask the elders to anoint you with oil and pray over you. And so he did. And they prayed over me and they anointed me with oil. This is years back. And they said, you're probably not going to experience anything right away, but just have faith and believe. A couple months later, I'm sitting there and I'm reading the word. I'm studying for this Bible study thing that I was teaching. Hilarious. And I'm sitting there reading it, and I saw something in the scriptures that I never understood before, and the word of God came alive in my heart, and it completely changed me. And I I had an appointment set up with the shrink the next day, canceled the appointment. I said, guess what? I'm good. I'm good. God got me, changed my life. I know I am forever changed because I just understood the truth of God in a way that completely transformed me. Okay, what happens at that point then is I start, my life completely transforms, and now I'm living alone like just living life and it's good. It's good. Like life is fun and I'm at peace now, you know? And, and, but my mom, okay, enter woman number one, you know, uh, she starts praying that, okay, Tim actually should re-engage in this relationship with Jen. He really needs Jen and they're supposed to be together. Well, I was just kind of doing my thing. Jen was actually supposed to show up at church to to uh, be involved or to listen to her friend give a testimony that Sunday and uh, this one Sunday and I wasn't going to be there because I was on a trip going away to do something else and my mom was like they're supposed to connect so she gets on her knees that night and she starts praying and she's like God do something make him stay she's got he's got to reconnect with Jen and she starts praying and it's in the middle of April and we have this big snow thunderstorm that that happens in the middle of April and that day and it cancels my trip and I end up showing up at church I didn't know my mom's praying this you know I didn't know and if she had told me to stay home from that trip you think I would have listened to her <laughs> that's just funny like to think about like no way like I'm a guy you know like I'm doing my thing what are you talking about you know and even though I had was healed and all of that like it doesn't matter like I was doing my thing and she knew better than to tell me hey you got to stay home and reconnect with Jen she prayed for me and the circumstances changed because the power of prayer then I see Jen again, we reconnect. I put a ring on her finger within a couple weeks. <laughs> and when I go to put the ring on her finger, I, we, we, we get together and we we're still weren't even dating yet. And, and I, I connect with her and I'm telling her, hey, this is what's changed in my life. God completely healed me. And I tell her everything that happened. And she's like, let me show you the verse that I've been praying over you every day since we've been apart. And she shares the verse with me. 
And it just broke me. Because the, ver- the verse that she was praying over me, was the, it, it was like, it was exactly what needed to happen in my life and exactly what God revealed to me. You think that she could have told me to fix that inside of me? There's no way. But she prayed it into me to the point where I broke and went to the elders and asked them to pray over me. To the point where God healed me and where my mom started praying over me so we'd reconnect. Think that my mom and my wife would be able to change me by telling me what to do? You gotta be kidding me, there's no way. But when they prayed, I was powerless. You know, the power of prayer, it's unbelievable. The scriptures tell us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and it's absolutely true, because guys, we gotta get stuff done, and if we're gonna change the world, we gotta do it through prayer. But if God wants to change us, guess where he's gonna do it? Through the power of women praying. And I can attest to that in my life. And my life has been changed through the prayer of women in my life, you know? And so women, you have a call to relationships. Men, you have a call to get stuff done. Both of us, we're not getting it done unless we pray. That's our job, is to pray, okay? Listen, you know that word devoted? Acts 2, 42, our whole verse here, it says that when it goes after these ancient future practices, the way they went after them was devoted, and we said this isn't just interest or discipline. This is being wholeheartedly given to something. That word is used very rarely in the New Testament. And there's only twice when it's used as an imperative. You have to do this. There's twice when it's used, both by Paul, who was pretty directive, and the one he used it to Timothy, this young pastor, and he told him, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to the teaching of the Word. You have to devote yourself. And, and so that's what he says to the leader, this young leader. And then he says it one other time to the church in Colossians. And he says it to the whole congregation, and he says this, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know what those two words mean there, watchful and thankful? The one is I'm on watch, and when something needs to change, I'm going to go into intercessory prayer, and I'm going to change it. By the power of God, I'm going to be watching to see what needs to be changed, and by the power of prayer, I'm going to be prayerfully making sure that we're locking it down. If something's coming into my family, forget about it. I'm going to pray over that, and it doesn't have a place in my family. If something's coming into my neighborhood, forget it. I'm a, I'm a watchman who's going to be praying over that, and we're not going to that up in this neighborhood, you know, and, and there's a level of prayer. We're being watchful. Thankfulness is another kind. The thankful prayer is that resting prayer where we're in the presence of God, where we're thanking him for everything, and we're deeply enriched by the presence of God, and he changes us through that, and we're practicing the presence of God. This is the place, the one place where this word, being wholeheartedly devoted to something, where we're commanded to be devoted to something, is prayer. Now, I want to hear one of you people stand up in front of me right now and tell me that we shouldn't be devoting ourselves to prayer. Somebody stand up and tell me you shouldn't be devoting yourself to prayer. Then the rest of you, by your silence, I'm going to assume that you know you should be devoted to prayer. If you know it, then do it. Then do it. Okay? This is just straight up. Do it. Okay? I want to challenge you today. This is no joke, like, right? This is the real deal, right? We devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to it. This is me getting in your face right now and in my own face and saying, we have got to pray, okay? This is, here's a few ways we're going to go after this in our church. There's two Tuesday night prayer meetings that we're going to, um, that we're going to be kicking off Journey Kids coming up in March again. And during Journey Kids on Tuesday nights, we're going to have Journeymen and journey women running simultaneously. So when you drop your kids off to journey kids, you can engage in those Bible studies. But for two of them, 
We're going to cancel the journeymen and journeywomen, and we're going to have prayer meetings together, okay? It's going to be on March 20th, and it's going to be on April 17th. And I would like to know that before you leave this room, you already have a commitment in your head and in your heart that you're going to be at those prayer meetings. Because we're supposed to be devoted to prayer, and this is the way we're expressing it together, is that there's two nights this spring that I'm asking for you to give to prayer, okay? Two nights, two nights. March 20th, April 17th, be there or stand up in my face and tell me you're not devoted to, that we're not supposed to be devoted to prayer, all right? Um, and then uh, secondly, here's another thing, okay, is that during these services, the power of, of God moving in the word of God in our lives is based not just on whether the word of God is divided correctly, that's extremely important, but whether or not it is divided correctly and whether or not it pierces our heart and becomes alive within us is largely dependent on prayer. And that's why we say that during the services, there's people praying. I would like to know that there's more people who are a part of that rotation. If you are willing to be a part of the rotation of people who will take time to pray during these services, there's a guide that helps you uh, work through what to pray, like a written guide that helps you with that. And it doesn't have to be during this service. It could be during the first service and it's on a rotation. It would just be every now and then. If you're willing to engage in that prayer to help benefit what it is that God's doing here, please see me or George Ann's Vodar and, and say that you'll sign up for that, okay? Now, personal prayer. There is a prayer over your family and over your workplace and over your neighborhood that you are called to. No one else. This is you. This is us, the church. We have the job, you know? And you are called to engage it. And if you want help with that, you know, if you want help, especially on the personal practices side of that, there's the booklet that the elders, we've spent a fair amount of time making up this booklet, Personal Practices in Pursuit of God, to help you with those personal disciplines in reading the Word and praying and all of that. They're back on the welcome table there. I would urge you to take that, and it'll help you in both forms of the prayer, the resting prayer and also the active prayer. Um, there's one other real practical thing around prayer that I want to say, and that's there's this conference coming up that you heard Josh make the announcement about, Renovari. Some of you are already signed up for that. The deadline for that is for this Wednesday. The person who's doing that, the person who's leading that, this guy's name is Richard Foster. And if you know anything about prayer, Richard Foster is kind of like the prayer guru, man. I mean, this guy knows so much about prayer and what he has to teach will be very, very helpful in your prayer life, particularly in learning to rest in, in prayer. And uh, I would urge you to come to that. If you have kids, there's child care there. Our church is paying for the child care. So uh, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, pay for that. I would urge you to join and be a part of that conference and go to that conference with us. There's a bunch of us who are already going. So please sign up for that. Deadline for registration is this Wednesday. Um, and so uh, please sign up for Renovari. Please come to those two prayer meetings. And uh, the other thing I want you to think about is as a church, we have a call to be praying over our land and praying particularly over the places around us that struggle like Pottstown and stuff like that. We have a call to that. And so just continue to be praying for our area and for our land, be praying for each other and uh, be praying for the saints. And uh, so thanks for um, hanging in there throughout this series. It's been a really good series as we look back at God's kind of original design and blueprint for his church. This is one of those series I would urge you to every now and then go back and listen to it online 
just to be reminded again. You know, it, I, unfortunately, we can't preach the exact same thing over and over again every time. There's a whole, the full counsel of Scripture that we have to get to. But this is one of those things that if we just kept saying this series over and over again, it would be really helpful for us, you know, because we need to learn it. So, uh, yeah, it's been really good. Let's give praise and thanks to God.